Why are Enviro Justice advocates mad about the Inflation Reduction Act? And Chevron funds news sites? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Beckosphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hogue, a climate communicator. I think I've earned that title. Today is Monday, August 22nd. Let's jump right into today's news. Let's start with some extreme weather events. China issued its first national drought alert of the year as wildfires raged. A special team has been mobilized to protect crops along the Yangtze River from scorching temperatures. Rainfall is not coming unless it's cloud-seeded. At least, rainfall isn't coming to that part of the country. In the western province of China, at least 16 people were killed from flooding caused by heavy rainfall. In Africa, a wildfire in northern Nigeria rages on and has killed at least 38 people, mostly in the east bordering Tunisia, which was baking at about 118 degrees Fahrenheit or 48 degrees Celsius. Hundreds in the area have suffered burns and respiratory illnesses. Meanwhile, forest fires began raging 200 kilometers southeast of Moscow, Russia, Thursday. Despite the distance, Moscow breathes in the smoke. Temperatures in Moscow are expected to reach 91.4 degrees Fahrenheit or 33 degrees Celsius this week. That's hot, but still far from the record made in 2010 at 38.2 degrees Celsius. Other parts of Europe, specifically France, Austria, and Italy, were hit by major storms on Thursday that killed at least 12 people, including three children. Heavy rains and winds struck the region, causing flash floods and deadly tree falls. We talk a lot about drought in the western half of the U.S., but now we need to talk about it in the northeast. All of Massachusetts and Rhode Island and much of Connecticut are in a drought. Massachusetts, New York, and New Jersey have seen two to six inches of rain less than normal levels over the past 60 days. Okay, we have two climate studies today. A new study published in the journal Nature set out to look at current and potential worldwide bike adoption trends for short-distance travel and how an increase in adoption could impact climate and human health. The researchers began developing the first global data set for bicycle ownership, starting with data from 60 countries. From 1962 to 2015, they found the global production of bikes increased during that time at a rate faster than cars. The 1970s was particularly a good time for bike purchases. Yet, biking still represents less than 5% of commutes in most countries, and the researchers found that increased bike ownership doesn't necessarily mean increased bike usage. A worldwide pro-bike policy and infrastructure development, similar to what is currently in the Netherlands and Denmark, is needed to spur climate and human health improvements. However, not all countries have a flat terrain, and most haven't produced the infrastructure, bike culture, or high environmental concern that the Netherlands and Denmark have. Increased car use can lead to decreased bike use, not just because it's a trade-off, but also because biking in a car-dominated area can be dangerous. But if biking was more incentivized and prioritized in infrastructure, and everyone in the world cycled about 1.6 kilometers a day, like in the case of Denmark, it could reduce a UK's worth of global emissions. If it goes up to everyone biking about 2.6 kilometers a day, it would drop global passenger fleet emissions by 20%. These are all according to 2015 numbers, by the way. More cycling also leads to a decrease in adult obesity and traffic-related deaths. Meanwhile, in the U.S., a Princeton study looked into how burying power lines could reduce power outages during extreme weather events. It used Harris County, Texas as an example because it has the densest population along the Gulf Coast. 
The country was hit by Hurricane Laura in 2020 and Hurricane Ida in 2021. After those hurricanes hit, the area experienced heat waves. These compounding risks are expected to increase due to climate change. In a business-as-usual scenario, the researchers determined that the risk of a 1 in 100-year hurricane heat wave combo that results in power outages for more than five days will grow from 0.8% chance now to an 18.2% chance by 2100. However, strategically burying 5% of power lines drops the probability down to 11.3%. The key word, though, is strategic. Current practices bury power lines mostly at random. Prioritizing more at-risk communities could reduce the number of people impacted by these events. The researchers stressed the importance of collaboration between engineers, climate modelers, and city planners. Okay, we have two climate victories today, and I'm going to share one now, and I'm going to share one at the end, like I did last time. Black Diamond Coal is facing federal charges for allegedly faking coal dust tests for its mining machine operators in Floyd County, Kentucky. Coal dust causes black lung disease, a fatal illness that has been on the rise recently in Appalachia due to several geological factors. But companies lying about it definitely doesn't help the situation. If convicted, the company could face steep fines and the dust sampler supervisor could face fines or imprisonment. Okay, but speaking of coal-related pollution, our first climate fail of the day involves the Texas Valley Authority dumping coal ash in South Memphis, a historically black community. This new nine-year plan came right after the community just won a case against Valero Energy and Plains All-American, who wanted to put a pipeline near the town. Back to the start again, but this time there's nothing community members can do about it. This waste is laced with mercury, arsenic, and other contaminants that will get dumped in the community waste site and covered with dirt. This won't help the chemicals from blowing with the breeze or impacting groundwater. Residents say the nation's largest utility company, TVA, failed to consult with them adequately or seriously to consider less harmful alternatives. This is an all-too-common experience for black and brown communities due to racist zoning practices called redlining to keep people of color confined to a certain part of cities while encouraging white people to move to the suburbs. South Memphis has some of the worst air in Tennessee due to being near trucking routes, which has led to a lower life expectancy and higher rates of cancer. Dumping coal ash nearby will make the situation even worse. Continuing with the theme of environmental justice issues, EJ advocates are slamming the Inflation Reduction Act for selling out communities that live near fossil fuel plants, many of which are lower income or communities of color. They say the plant's fossil fuel and carbon capture provisions will result in people being subjected to even more associated pollution. On Thursday, dozens of activists protested outside the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's Manhattan office with signs reading, Stop the Dirty Pipeline Deal and Off Fossil Fuels. Ten were arrested. Even one of the White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council members called out the plan, saying, quote, Somehow we're both a bargaining chip and the people that can save the day when it comes to elections. Those are moral contradictions that can't stand for too long. Something's got to give. About $60 billion in the $700-plus billion bill will go towards environmental justice efforts, according to Democrats. And they say that that's the largest amount of money allocated to communities impacted by pollution ever. So that shows how low our bar is. Some environmental groups have questioned the $60 billion figure too, saying environmental justice funding is closer to $47 to $49 billion in the bill. Now environmental justice advocates are focusing on two goals, blocking the fast-tracking permitting of fossil fuel infrastructure projects provided by the bill and demanding President Biden declares a climate emergency to open up more money to tackling climate change. 
In other news, the oil company Chevron is taking advantage of Texas's news deserts by starting a community news site called Permian Proud. I wish I was kidding. News deserts are places without a local news organization. It's a growing problem in the U.S. because traditional news sites are having trouble staying open, so they either die or get bought up by hedge funds, which then strip the staff to next to nothing and suck all the money they had left. One-third of newspapers in and around the Milland County have died over the last two decades. So Chevron decided this is a great opportunity to assert its influence on the community located near the Permian Basin. The Permian Basin is where many U.S. oil and gas operations are located. Now, to be fair, Chevron does have its brand all over the site, and Permian Proud does talk about community-based stuff. But once you enter the industry tab, it's entirely Chevron propaganda. Some of the top stories in this section right now include Permian Basin International Oil Show donates $282,000 in scholarships for local students, and new solar energy fields in Permian Basin to lower Chevron's carbon intensity, and Houston Chronicle, Permian Basin economy could thrive for years to come as oil industry modernizes. Good stuff. Totally not propagandistic. This is not even Chevron's first sponsored news site, by the way. They also sponsored the Richmond Standard in California. Down to Mexico now, where President Obrador wants to nationalize the energy grid in a pro-fossil fuel sort of way. 70% of Mexico's energy comes from fossil fuels. The country's authorities are keeping clean energy out of the mix through regulatory action in favor of state-owned oil and gas companies. In doing so, it's jeopardizing billions of dollars in renewable energy investment. There are a few exceptions, though, like there's a $1.6 billion plan to build a state-owned solar power plant and several hydroelectric refurbishments. Okay, we need a positive story after all that. Scientists and students from the University of Miami are working on developing a hybrid coral to plant off of the Miami coast. It's part of a $75 million federal grant from the U.S. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency to help address security threats to the military and civilian infrastructure along vulnerable coastal regions in Florida and the Caribbean. Coral reefs are natural storm diffusers, like mangroves. Both of the coral species are staghorn, and the goal is for the coral to hold strong against increasingly strong storm surges. And that was your climate recap for Monday, August 22nd. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Becosphere Climate Corner YouTube channel. If you're on Twitch, I'll see you in my stream from 9 to 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time today to talk about more climate news. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.